The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, we are back. It's we are starting a cult on your typical Friday evening. Fucking dick, I was busy. Say what? No, but we are back. We are here today to tell you. We're here to tell you two fascinating, fascinating stories. Okay, now this is a little, a little bit off topic. You know, we typically don't cover things like this, but uh. I don't know. We feel like this warrants but, an episode. Yeah, fuck it. Um, We're starting a cult, too. No, it's we are. You have to separate the we and the are. It was a test. Good. All right. Yeah. That's Grant. I'm Jake. Mitch is here. It's true. We're all here. So today, we will be talking about two psychological, well, I'll even go as far to say supposed psychological experiments, and we'll explain that. They're a bit dicey. Later, but... um. I would have to say anyone that has a background in psychology would would be relatively familiar with these topics. But um yeah, I mean they're pretty weird, I would say. Very I, elaborate weird things. Yeah. Um most of the times kind of crossing the boundary between what is acceptable in the scientific field and what isn't. So yeah, ethics and all that shit. Oh, uh, well, who wants to start? You want me to go? You want to go? How do you want to do this? We each got one, so uh, lay it on me, Buster. I'll start off. Do it. All right. Well, do it. The one that I'm going to be doing is the Milgram experiment. Mm. And I feel like almost anyone who's gone to like high school in America knows about this, because I remember being taught this in multiple classes in high school. It was a, like, shock therapy thing. Anyway, let's get into it. The Milgram Experiments. They were a series of psychological, uh, social psychology uh, experiments that were conducted by Yale University psychologist Stanley Milgram. Makes sense. That's where the name came from. And uh, the goals of the experiment was to observe the willingness of men from all walks of life to obey uh, an authority figure who's who instructed them to perform acts conflicting with their own personal conscience, right? So it's about... Cunnilingus? Uh, 
Yeah, something like that. It could be, you know, depending on how they felt about it. But really, it was just like following orders, getting you know, getting into that. I just want to point this out before we go in. I know, I know everyone out there is probably familiar with the idea of electric shock, or maybe even electric shock therapy. Um, but I think it's important to note that uh, just because it sounds outdated doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Um, electroshock therapy was common in the United States up until the 80s. Really? Uh, so that is not that long ago. Um, I'm not saying it happened every day, obviously, but... It was practice, it, you know, it, it was, was... A, it was a thing that, you know, it was a tool in the bag of medicine, and... They used it. They did. It got its fair, it's got, it got its miles. It's, I, I know that that's kind of weird to think about, but it is just... It's just true. Sometimes, you know, fact is a little bit stranger than fiction. And, I mean, this isn't electric shock therapy, but there is, uh, there's some weird fucking things in here that go along with electric shock it's therapy. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So it's all about uh, the whole experiment was about authority, what people do in that situation when there's a figure telling them to do something they might not necessarily agree with now. Uh, these experiments, they began on July of 1960. Or what was it? Nineteen sixty-three, I believe. That's way before the summer of love. Way before the summer of love. Uh, maybe not way before, but they were planning it. Nineteen sixty-one. Ooh, even sixty-one, July of nineteen sixty-one. Even further away. Yeah. How sad. Yeah, and this uh, there was a reason that it was about authority and following orders and stuff because three months previous to uh, when these uh, experiments began, the trial of German Nazi war criminal Adolf Ekman. I think it's Ekman. It's E-I-C-H-M-A-N-N. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. A- yeah. Ike- His trial started Troy in... Aikman, Troy the, uh, Aikman. Troy Aikman. The sports announcer. <laughs> you know, I, I saw that out there, John, and I was thinking that should have been a first down. Yeah. That's what they were talking about in the court that day. Yeah, in Jerusalem. Yeah. In 1961. And after uh, reading a lot of the updates from this trial for months, uh, Milgram devised a psychological study in an attempt to explain the psychology of genocide and possibly answer the popular question at the time in the headlines, could it be that Ekman and his millions of accomplices in the Holocaust were just following orders? Yeah. Could it be? I mean, probably, at least to... I mean, the way I think of it, I think back to my days uh, in high school. And, I mean, I know in a school setting it's much different than in war or in, in a Nazi country Germany. setting. Yeah. But, I mean, I I was thinking about a time uh, when I, I was a senior in high school, so I was 18, and I, I cannot tell you how many times I had to just color pictures because that's what the, the teacher was, was killing time, and it was like, color this picture. And, I mean, it was when you really think back on it, it's like, I'm an adult in this situation. And just because someone with more authority than myself told me to do something, I did it. It's true. And, uh, you know, you don't even really think about it. You don't think twice. It's just like, well, that's what they want. So. Did you have those teachers that would, like, grade your coloring? Not Definitely not in high school. No. <laughs> but, in, uh, yeah, in, like, elementary school. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> B minus lobsters are not orange. It's Grant. like how about, it's like there wasn't a red crayon. How about you just let me be creative? I want an orange lobster. I remember in middle school, 
uh, we got to color a hound dog. Or, yeah, some kind of dog. Do you remember the book we read? I can't remember what uh, it was. Where the Red Fern Grows. Yeah. Bloodhound, and, bro. Yeah, we could get extra credit for coloring in, like, this dog. And <laughs> the teacher's show, like, was just like, really? Because I made it gray. And she was like, really? So she threw it away, and I didn't get extra credit. <laughs> what the... That's all right. <laughs> That's so stupid. That was... I, I know... Who were the other ones, like tie-dye? At least yours was, like, realistic. I know if David's out there, this is a story David will remember. We were taking I-step tests, and this was in eighth grade, so that was, like, the last year we did it, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were done, and we were in our homeroom teacher's room, and we had nothing to do. We were just killing like an hour. So we are sitting there. And he was a huge like Minnesota Vikings fan. So I was just like sketching this picture. And I like just, I pretty, I tried to just trace the the logo of the Vikings. Yeah. And I like, I was done with it. I was like, I gave it to him. I was like, do you want this? Because I don't want it. And he was like, this is terrible. And he just threw it in the recycling. <laughs> like in my face, he was just like, this is terrible. And just threw it away. Oh, that was the Molding ego check that minds, I needed. Though. Yeah. You know, no one up to that point had ever been like, your drawing skills are disgusting. Like, Don't draw. I'm not going to. What do you want me to hang this up? No. Yeah. I, it's, like, <laughs> it's such a dick move. It was the ego check that I really didn't know I needed. But I at the, now I appreciate it. it there you go. It. it sucked. It was Full bad. Full circle. Yeah. He was fat. The horn was fucked up. It just looked brutal. It was miserable. <laughs> Nothing like him. It was bad. Uh, anyway, yeah, they're trying to uh, figure out what's, what was going on over there in the Holocaust. Psychologically. So these experiments, they were conducted in the basement of the Lindsley Chittendale, Chittenden. Chittenden, Lindsley Chittenden Hall of Yale in the basement. Uh, each session of this experiment involved three individuals, right? The experimenter who ran the session, the teacher who was, uh, they were always the volunteers. So they ended up being the teacher in the situation. Uh, they chose to take part in the experiment and were led to believe that they were assisting the experimenter when in reality uh, they were the subjects themselves. And the learner, who was an actor who would pretend uh, to be a volunteer and would ultimately be the learner. How scandalous. That is just the, that's the old switcheroo if I've ever seen yeah. it. You know? Experiment begins before you even know it. That, see, that's how it's, that's, that's when you know it's going to be a decent experiment, though, because when you really don't know, there's no way you can influence that situation. It is true, but this is where like all the ethical shit came in afterward. They were like, oh, that might not have been okay. Ethics, schmethics. This is 1961. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> Cigarettes is... were healthy at this point. Oh, they, were yeah, almost, right. they were almost... They were recommended. Yeah, the doctor was like, if you want to have a good time, smoke a pack of these bad boys. <laughs> now, it's a very different time. Yeah, it's a very different time. But uh, All right, so the subject and the actor... Uh, they would arrive together to the session, like at the same time. So they saw each other, everything was, you know, they were like, hey. And uh, they were told that they were being, uh, they were taking part in a scientific study on memory and learning, right? So that's the premise. Uh, it's to see the effects of, uh, to see the effects of punishment on a subject's ability to memorize content. So they're punishing you for not getting the right answer, right? Uh, it was also made very clear to them that they would get paid for their participation in the experiment no matter what the result of the particular session was. So that was made clear to them. That's fair. Right? I think that's the only way to run 
Especially in experiments, like if I don't get the results I'm looking for, you don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, there might be a little bias there. I don't want to. I don't want to partake in this experiment anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the actor of the subject would then uh, they would draw slips of paper that, unbeknownst to the subject himself, uh, it, like both of the pieces of paper read "teacher," and this made sure that the subject would always play the role of the teacher. And then the two would be led into the room uh, where the learner who was also the actor, uh, would be strapped to what appeared to be an electric chair. Like nice. the fucking, you know, uh, they kill people with. Oh, yeah, with the wet sponge and everything. There you go. And the experimenter, who was the authority figure, uh, would then tell the subject that this uh, this was to ensure, because they strapped him in, right? The, uh, the experimenter was like, this is to ensure that they can't escape. He would say this to the subject. And here, the subject was then led into a room separate from the actor, so they could not, so they could communicate, but they couldn't see each other, right? Uh-huh. And this is where the teaching began. Uh, all right. So uh, the subject was given a list of words, uh, and these words had pairing words, so they were word pairs, and they would read them to the learner through this like uh, microphone system. Uh, the subject would then go back through the list, saying only the first word, and give four multiple-choice options for the correct word to pair with it. Okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Four multiple-choice. The learner would press buttons to indicate the answers, right? So uh, if they were answered correctly, the subject uh, would just go on to the next pairing of words, ask that question. But if the answer was incorrect, the subject uh, would press a button, supposedly administering an electric shock to the learner starting at 14 volts and increasing by 15 volts. No, sorry. It started at 15 and increased by 15 uh, for each wrong answer. And this went up to 450 volts. That's a lot of voltage. That's too, arguably too many volts. That's a lot of damage, to quote the Flex Seal guy. <laughs> that is a lot of damage. Uh, so the shock generator was also marked with the phrases uh, slight shock, and then on the highest one, danger, severe shock. Okay. Which is, you know, that makes sense. It's a nice warning to have, perhaps. There you go. And the subject believed that they were administering real shocks to the learner, when in actuality, uh, for each level of shock, the actor had pre-recorded verbal reactions to them uh, that could be heard by the subject without any shock actually being administered. Right, so you got this whole ruse going, and after the tenth shock, uh, like after they were you know getting into it, after the tenth one, that's where a uh, recording of the learner would play, asking them to please stop. All right, and it's like you got to stop, you got to please stop. Uh, when the highest voltages were reached, I think around three hundred volts, that's when the learner would stop responding. They're just dead. <laughs> just like they administer the shock, no noise. Very daunting. Very, uh, very, it, very dark. It's like those people that record sound effects for movies and TV. They should have just hooked up like battery or battery uh, jumper cables to like a stake and just <laughs> let it do it. And then played that noise. No reaction. Like, like oh I hear God. like sizzling. It's like, it what, smells good. What is that? <laughs> Why the screaming? Some stop? garlic and butter in there. But, uh, all right, so the experiment also factored in, like, possible hesitance that the subject may uh, experience throughout the process, you know, naturally. 
Um, the experimenter had four verbal prods that they would use to try to get these people to keep doing it. And they were in this exact order that they would say it. Please continue or please go on. And then the second one is, the experiment requires that you continue. Number three, it's absolutely essential that you continue. And then number four, you have no other choice. You must go on. So if the, if the subject, who is the teacher, ever had any reservations and turned to the experimenter, who was the authority figure, they would have to say, the uh, experimenter would say these things in that exact order. And if at the end of those four things being said, they still wouldn't do it, then the experiment would be over. Right? All right. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. It's like an it's like an Easter egg in a video game. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's like not, you just have to be persistent. They don't tell you about it in the rule book. They're not going to tell you, but if you happen to stumble upon it, the answer is way more simple than you ever yeah. thought it would be. It's like just keep saying You no. just had to say it five times. Like realistically, <laughs> if you knew that information going in, you could just say I don't want to do it. 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 All right, I'll see you tomorrow. It's like Will Ferrell's character in fucking uh uh what is it? Uh Austin Powers, where he's like, please don't ask me three things. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> please don't ask me that three times. I have to say yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Pretty much, that that's you, if you knew that, the experiment would be over. But it's yeah. funny that that rule is in place because it's so simple to get out of. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, when someone looks you dead in the eyes and says, you have no choice, you must continue. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has to be a little... Little rattling, yeah. perhaps coming from an authority figure. That's the whole thing. I could, I, I could imagine that that would not be fun to hear that. Yeah, definitely. But that's okay. So right, if if the subject refused to continue the experiment after the, all four of the verbal prods, the session would end. Otherwise, the four hundred and fifty volt shock would be administered three times in a row before the stopping point was reached. Ooh. So if people just kept going, they would do like three lethal doses of voltage to these people. Nice. So, uh, in the cases of the subjects asking the experimenter if the learner had any risk of permanent, like, physical harm, the experimenter would reply with, though the shocks administered, like, are producing pain, there would be no permanent tissue damage. So, please continue. Like cool. that, that, that would be the answer. And if the subject addressed the fact that the learner may want to stop to the experimenter, because, you know, after the 10th shock, they're just like, you got to stop, please. The experimenter would reply that whether or not the learner liked it, they had to complete the word pairings correctly. So you please continue. Do. You yeah. gotta listen. So that's what the, that's the whole deal. Um. So yeah, it goes on. So that was the experiment. That's like all of it laid out, right? So that those are the parameters. That's everything. Uh, but before the sessions could be held, Milgram took a poll of predictions from fourteen senior Yale psychology majors as well as 40 psychiatrists. That's a lot. Yeah. And all of these people, like all of the individuals, overwhelmingly predicted that most participants would uh, cease the experiment after the 10th shock when the learner requests the whole thing to stop. Uh, and it was also predicted that when the 300-volt shock was administered, which, like I said earlier, is when the learner ceased to verbally response, verbally respond, uh, that only 3.73% of the subjects would continue. That's such a such a particular number. It really is, but... It is exact. They're men of science. They have to be very, 
very exact. Good for them. That is, see, that's the kind of attention to detail that kept me out of the science field. Is just yeah, it's like, I love. Oh, there can't be any loose ends. I love getting Forget the answer, but uh, finding that answer is such a pain in the ass. I just can't do it. I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the results of these things. All right. So these were the results. Sixty-five percent of the, for the first session, the first uh, series of sessions. So 26 out of 40 people, uh, they administered the 450-volt shock. They got up to nice. that point. Good for them. All 40 participants got up to the 30-volt uh, mark. So every single person got up to where they were just not responding anymore. 300 volts. That's what I meant. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 300. Like... Sorry about that. Thank you, Mitch. But uh, so yeah, subjects. The subjects all experienced uh, or exhibited uh, tension and stress in one form or another. They would sweat, tremble, stutter. Uh, they'd bite their lips. They'd groan. Some had like nervous <laughs> laughing fits. Dude, some people had fucking seizures. Nice. In d- due to this, it's crazy. So yeah, uh, <laughs> and most of them continued after reassurance from the experimenter because every single person also questioned it. While in the midst of it, are you sure this is appropriate, sir? Yes. Yeah, but all but like a few outliers just continued after the experimenter was like, "No, keep going." So it just blew everyone's predictions out of the fucking water. It's like all these people did it. All these people theoretically would have killed these people if this was real. Yeah. What do you mean? Oh yeah, let's hear. Let's hear this. Mitch thinks it depends. Let's see what you guys say. Really, like voltage. Like, like tasers, like have a shit ton of volt. Like they have like, like hundreds of thousands of volts, if not millions. And you know they don't kill people. It's it's like the amperage, the current, that is what kills people. Like half an amp could kill you. So really, it it really depends on like how they're administering the shock, and also, yeah, like what. Like, how are they, sh- like, shocking them? Like, with, with what, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I totally, uh, I see that. And I understand what you mean, but, like, a big part of this is the psychology of them begging you to stop, and then after this point, they stop responding at all. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, the whole psychology is, like, you're definitely hurting this person. You know you're hurting it, but you're continuing to do it. Mm-hmm. You don't know the state of them because they're not responding. Like, it's all just the ambiguousness of following these orders. Like, a lot of people don't have the knowledge you do about electricity. You know what I mean? But, uh, so the results of this experiment were huge. They were, they were huge news in the academic field. And Milgram and his peers would go on to perform, like, variations of it, um, variations of the experiment in later years all throughout the world, yielding, like, incredibly similar results. Like, most people are like this original group of people that they uh, tested on so milgram even set up uh, this experiment in an unregistered backstreet office of a like a busy city to eliminate the like scientific legitimacy of yale being associated with it and though there were like somewhat reduced numbers of participants uh, to continue shocking the learner after 300 when they would stop responding the results were like not significantly lower at all it was it was pretty much the same Interesting. Right? And uh, later on, like, this guy Thomas Blass, 
of uh, of the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. He performed a like a meta analysis of all the separate times this experiment has gone on throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And he found that while a percentage of individuals to administer the fatal shock ranged from like 28% to 91%, which is a big range, there's no significant trend to it over time. So oh. it was really just a matter of the individuals they just so happened to get to like be a part of this experiment. And the average percentage of participants to administer the fatal shock in the U.S. was 61%. And in non U.S. Uh, studies, it yielded 66%. Wow. So more than half of the entire world's population, pretty much, is susceptible to this kind of, like... Control? Control, yeah. Just a a, sense. through authority figures. Damn. That's a big number. That's the Milgram experiment. That is quite frightening. I'm not going to lie to you. If it teaches us anything, it just teaches us what humanity is capable of under... The right amount of circumstances. You know, we're yeah. like a bad diamond, you know? It's like a piece of coal. You put us under some pressure, we become great. We're the opposite. We become poop. We become whatever the pressure tells us to be. The poop. But, um... Yeah, he, like, his original plan was to do it with U.S. and then do, like, a, a group of strictly German-descended people. Like, he wanted to go over to nine, Germany and do that. Nine. But that just didn't end up happening for one reason or another. So he just did it all around the world, and yeah. I like how he picked the Germans. They really, they would not have appreciated this experiment that early. <laughs> it's too soon, well, you know? Well, I don't think the Jews really appreciated what they did, so. Yeah, but too soon. Too soon. The Germans, <laughs> they don't know what's There's going no on. There's no good time for any of this. They don't know. That, uh, I think I'd, I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird situation to be in, I guess. I it is funny because it's like, I mean, I don't know uh, electricity the way that, like, you know, obviously these people, uh, Milgram knew it and, like, someone like Mitch. But I, even upon hearing you say that, I, I kind of felt that, would 450 volts really kill someone? It's kind of like... That's what I was, like, I don't know, personally, but, it, like, yeah, the psych... The psych- it's going to hurt, but also the psychology behind it and people not necessarily being super familiar with electricity yeah, exactly. and what it takes. Like, that's that's where it comes in, and that's what kind of makes it legitimate. It's the deadly combination. I kind of like that. I don't. I, I really don't know how I would react in a situation like this. I'd be... It's ignorance and following orders. I, I, it worked on many levels for this experiment itself. I'll tell you what. I would definitely probably get to the 300 mark. Like, I... Could definitely see myself approaching that area. Yeah, I mean, if I didn't know about this from like high school or whatever, yeah, I probably yeah, would too. Never it's know. just like, oh, this is definitely set up. <laughs> this this is, is set up. I learned about this in fucking eleventh grade. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> it's all part of the plan, Grant. But yeah, I like that. But yeah, dude, that's the Milgram experiment. It's there's like a bunch of shit surrounding it, like uh, controversy on ethics and all that. But you know, that's just. Uh, it's six of one, you know? Yeah, ethics, schmethics. I think I said that already. It's like, yeah, a lot of people, like, wrote to him afterward, like, hey, man, thanks for, like, having me be a... Po-. There was, like, a, there was a guy in Vietnam, actually, who wrote him, and he was, like, a... He was, like, a conscientious, like... Objector? Objector, yeah. And he was, like, thank you for uh, putting me in your experiment, because it kind of 
made me realize that I was following these orders without knowing why I was doing it, you know, kind of enlightened people. I think it was like 91% of the people that partook in these, um, these experiments were just like, I think it was like 82 were just like, yeah, it was cool. And then there was another like 15 or something that were like, yeah, it's fine. So it's like it's 8% of the people were like, oh, that's fucked up. I don't like that. But most of the people were like, that's yeah, fine. It's whatever. Just leave it alone. <laughs> we'll put it to a vote. Was it ethical? <laughs> what do you think? I think it was ethical. And I have the 92% of people that will back me up on this. <laughs> you know what are you going to do? <laughs> you can't defend this. Get out of here. Oh, all right. So oh, Yeah, that was my experiment. All right, so we have the Milgram experiment. Next, we will talk about, funny enough, a slightly similar psychological, uh, I don't really, we'll call it a psychological experiment. Yeah, and I want to take this second right before you get into it to thank Tracy for giving uh, us this idea to talk about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Tracy. It was very sweet of you. It was and is. We're doing it. Tracy. But it is uh it's it's an interesting story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the story, give you the details, play by play, we'll see what happened, and then we can uh we can kinda dissect it afterwards and you know, see see what's what the scenario. Yes. August <laughs> of nineteen seventy one. Students in uh the Stanford area, this took place at Stanford University, which, fun fact, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Stanford's mascot is just a tree, and they're just the Stanford trees. Like, I, I think that that is... That's kind of adorable. I think it is beautiful. I, I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, in the student flyer, there was a ad in there for $15 a day to partake in a two-week overnight, all-day, every-day experiment. Now, that would transfer to roughly $93 a day today. So That's not bad. If my, let's see, if my math is correct, we're looking at around $1,400 for two weeks. Um, I'd do that. And in this time, yeah, like, I mean, you wouldn't be paying for food or housing. I mean, this it's part of the experiment. You have to go somewhere yeah. and do something. So you got two free weeks? Make so some money? they had a ton, a ton, a ton of people sign up, right? They whittle it down and they select their 18, okay? So now the experiment can begin. The Palo Alto Police Department rolled up to all participants' houses and arrested them, took them out of their house or out of their job or whatever they were doing, and brought them down to the station. That's where they were fingerprinted, mugshots, uh, they were booked, you know, regular going-into-jail situation. Okay? There's one question. You might answer it later, so mm-hmm. tell me if you do. But were they told that that was going to happen? Yeah. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, did, did that just happen? Yes. Did people lose their jobs and shit? No, 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 absolutely. This was something that they were aware okay, of. Okay, all right, um, all right. I'm not sure that they knew, like, the time that it would happen, but it was like, you're going to get arrested. It's like, like, at some point, this is going to happen. Yeah. So they do all that, then when they are officially done being booked, they are blindfolded and put in the back of a car and driven to Stanford 
where in the basement they made a makeshift prison. So what they did, it's actually kind of badass. There's like full videos and pictures online. They put up signs. They pulled doors off of hinges and replaced them with bars and secured doors. They draped everything off to get rid of that feel of a building. You know, they wanted it to feel very tight and weird yeah, and prisony. Yeah. Make it uh, bad. So they do all of this. They trans uh, they transformed a broom closet into the hole or a solitary confinement quarters, and every room was issued a cot. Okay, easy peasy lemon squeezy. Just like a prison. Mm-hmm. So. How did they build this? Well, on the committee of people that were working on this project was a man who spent 17 years in prison. And his sole purpose as being part of this experiment was to help educate and simulate the prison experience. He's the expert. So he wanted them to essentially, you know, make sure it felt real. They wanted them to have that element of fear and not knowing. That was his role, okay? Um... Fun fact, this is interesting, keep this in mind. They offered people different roles because they needed guards and they needed prisoners. And since there was 18, they needed 9 and 9. Not one person of the 18 involved wanted to be a guard. They all wanted to be a prisoner because their response was that everyone hates prison guards. Why would we want to be a prison guard? Like, they're terrible. Have you ever seen a movie? Like, they just get shit on. Everybody hates their existence, you know? Yeah. So nobody wants to do it. So supposedly, this is what what happened. They flipped a coin for all 18 to decide who would be a prisoner and who would be a guard. This is where the experiment officially began. So they divide them up. The nine prisoners are stripped completely naked all together and sprayed down with a hose cleaned off with antibacterial scrub. Then they are given a prison garment, which pretty much just looks like a night shirt. It's like a long shirt. Yeah. Uh, a stocking that is to be worn on the head at all times. A number was assigned to them because they were not to be referred to by their names, only their numbers. Okay. And there were also a chain with a lock was put on one of their ankles. And this is this is kind of fucked up. It's really psychological warfare. Because the point of this was that it wasn't tied to anything. They weren't, like, chained to anything. But the point was so that anytime they'd look down, they'd remember where they were. And then they left it on overnight so that when they would roll over in their sleep, the chain would hit against their leg and it would wake them up. And they would realize that they're in prison. So it was a big... It's a big middle finger to that's, all the people. It's a lot of thinking for some evil shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so at this point, the prisoners are in their cells. They are no longer individuals. They are just numbers. They can only refer to each other as their number. Now, the guards. Let's talk about them for a minute, okay? The guards were given no specific rules on what they were and were not allowed to do. Without or with the exception that they could not physically assault any of the prisoners, so they could not they could not lay a hand on a person, but that was the only stipulation. Okay, well that's good. Um, other than that, their rule or their job role, I guess you could say, 
was to maintain order in this prison. That was it. There was no other rules, no guidelines, no how do we do it. Just figure it out. Make sure everything stays up and above board. Yeah. Okay? So, this guy named, uh, I'm going to butcher this really bad, I think, David Yaff or Half. It's Yaffe, perhaps? J-A-F-F-E. Uh, anyway, David Yaffe. Jaffe. David Jaffe, Yaffe, whatever. I'm going to call him Yaffe. David Yaffe, he was the simulation warden for this experiment. And this kind of gets lost in the retelling of the story because everyone that knows this story might be familiar with the name Philip Zimbardo. Okay, so let me talk about him for a moment. Philip Zimbardo, he was the conductor of the experiment. He was a doctor at Yale, and he was the man responsible for pretty much everything that happened. He was like the adult that ran the show. Now, David Yaffe, he was the warden because he was the undergrad student in Zimbardo's class that came up with the idea for this experiment. All right. So he was given the title of warden, which essentially he did nothing. Just thought it was interesting because, you know, you should know the key no, players. No, that's cool, yeah. Scenario. That was going to be my next question is, like, is he, like, running the session or something or what? In in spirit, yes. In but spirit, it's, he's like the Queen of England. It's like a figurehead yeah, it's, sort of thing. it's pretty much everything is done by Zimbardo, and we'll kind of talk about that yeah. in a little bit. So... He is, this David Yaffe, he is supposed to be the intended supervisor of the entire experiment. So he has an office down the hall, okay? He's present the whole time. This is his brainchild. Now, everyone that is involved in this had to sign a consent form. Um, it pretty much just stated that they would get paid for what they do and that supposedly there's talk that there was a specific safe word that could be said uh, during this experiment to where if you wanted to leave, you could say it, and, you know, it would be done, you're out, no hard feelings, bye. Um, that is what Philip Zimbardo tries to tell the media. However, the actual contract has nothing in that at all. It says nothing about being able to leave if you feel you need to. Sounds about right. So we got that going for us. Now... The nine guards, they were given matching outfits of khakis, nice polo shirt, and billy clubs. Now, they couldn't use the billy clubs. It was more well, of a... I was going to say, is it, are they, like, splitting the hair of that rule where it's like, oh, I didn't touch him with my hands, just this club? No, it was more... I think it was for the pageantry, you know? That makes sense, yeah. I mean, they have a, they already have a fake um, warden, so... It was not issued, but most of them ended up wearing sunglasses, too. It just kind of fit the role. <laughs> um, I saw this in a movie. But, yeah, so that, that, was the, that was kind of what was going on. Yeah, yeah. So, on the first night... We have this weird little flux of power, okay? I mean, the guards are in charge, but they're really, in in reality, outside of the simulation, they are just peers to the prisoners. They all go to school together. They're all roughly the same age. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting. We're going to see what happens here. So on two at 2.30 a.m. on the first night of the experiment... The guards wake up all the prisoners with a loud whistle and force them to come out of their cells and recite the number of every inmate in the prison. Okay? So they do that. 
Then they make the prisoners all do push-ups. And this was the early stages of figuring out ways around that rule of no physical harm. See, the rule doesn't say that you can't make them do things. The rule just says you can't touch them. So as their form of physical punishment for misbehaving, they were forced to do push-ups and other things that we'll see later. So this was 2.30 in the morning, first day. Yes. They're already doing And no one told them to wake these people up. We all the, we to? can discuss all of this at the okay. end because I don't want to spoil right. anything. Yeah, I'm jumping ahead. No, you're fine. I get it. We got questions. Don't worry. So that happens, right? On the second night, there was the riot. Now it wasn't a real riot. There's no fires or actual fighting. Pretty much what they did is the prisoners uh, during the night shift. Now because uh, it is important to note. All nine guards were not present all the time. They worked in shifts like a real prison. So the prisoners were there all the time, but the guards were allowed to leave and come back because, yeah. you know, it's it was a job, essentially. Mm-hmm. So on the second night, every prisoner removed the mattress from their bed and jammed it up against the door so that the next morning the guards could not open the doors and let them out. This was... And they call it a riot, but it essentially was not a riot. Yeah, that um, sounds pretty neutral. So the prisoners are lock, locking themselves in the cells, and the guards are not fond of this. So the guards, they take some fire extinguishers and stick them through the doors and start spraying the prisoners to keep them away from the door long enough to unjam the mattress. Man, these really are just college kid ideas. Yeah, so they're spraying <laughs> the fuck out of them. They are dousing them. There's there's videos of them dousing them online. You can watch it all. It's, yeah, it's all yeah. right there. Um, so this spawned the new brainchild of the guards, and that is what they called the privilege cells. So what they did is they took all the mattresses. They said, you get no more mattresses. You've lost your mattress privileges. But there's a couple cells that they saved for people that were more well-behaved. And this one had a mattress in it, okay? Now, if you got yourself in the privileged cells, they'd give you back your bed, they'd give you back your uniform, so they'd let you be at least comfortable in your clothing, and they'd also let you brush your teeth. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. So they put a couple people in there, and then this is where it gets real crazy, because then the guards start doing some even deeper psychological warfare. And what they do is they take the people out of, after about six hours, they take the people that are in the privileged cell, and they put them in the bad cell. And then they take the people in the bad cells and put them in the privileged cell. You might be like, you might be asking yourself, what the hell, what, what's the point of this, right? Flip it and reverse it. See, this is what they do in real prison to make sure that trust among the prison population is low. Because now it looks like some of these bad people might be telling stories or trying to get away with something. Uh And now they're earning privilege while your privilege is being taken away. It's a way to kind of flip the script and make sure there's some uh, turmoil in the group that you're trying to control. So they did this within six hours of creating the privilege cell. So... I mean, that's fast. Like, they didn't even get to enjoy it yet. They're wasting no time. They have, what, two weeks? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we're only on day. This is the day of day two. So, I well, I guess if you want to say this is all just day two. <laughs> I guess realistically, I guess this would be the beginning of day three, perhaps, because this would be after the riot. So, so this would be the beginning of day three. Still pretty soon. It's early, early Very in early, the experiment. Yeah. Early in the experiment. Okay. So, after the first 36 hours, prisoner number 8612 was suffering from perceived emotional issues. He was crying and wailing and bawling his eyes out and just having a really not good time. He was begging to go home. Begging to go home. I imagine that doesn't go over well in real prison. So, what did they do? They threw him in solitary confinement. They put him in the hole overnight. And then in the morning, when they went to check on it, number 8612, they found that he was not any better for the wear. He was still very upset, and he was not having a good time. And out of fear that this might cause, you know, issues down the road, they let prisoner number 8612 leave the experiment after only 48 hours. Really? So he's gone. He was able to leave. Now, this is when they open visiting hours. See, they're trying to simulate like a real prison. Yeah, yeah. So they got they, the expert seventeen veteran. Yeah. Oh yeah. So they want real. They want your family to come in and visit you. So family and friends show up, and they keep this real tight. Like you go in, there's someone there to greet you. Uh, you sign in, they make you wait 30 minutes, and then you get 10 minutes, and that's it. Then you're done. Visiting's over. Yeah. So the parents come in. Um, now, a lot of these people are really not happy with this experiment. Like, they're kind of freaking out. The families or the people in the experiment? Oh, the family. The okay. family is very against this experiment. They're like, well, this is not appropriate. This is kind of bad. Um, but none of the prisoners said anything none of them felt that they needed to leave it was just kind of part of the experiment it was like okay i'm not gonna leave but i get what you're saying yeah uh and even in one case i found it quite interesting um one of the mothers uh was discussing with philip zimbardo at the the at the visiting hours she was discussing with him uh you know how worried she is about her son and Zimbardo just told her, like, pretty much he's like, well, you know, your son is tough. Like, this is it's nothing he can't handle. And the father looked at the mother and said, he's right. We've wasted enough of his time. Let's go. So even the parents were fooled into, like, thinking this was good. Uh, masculinity. Now, it's important to note that one of the reasons that this experiment, this experiment, sorry, would eventually get shut down is because one of the visitors was the girlfriend of one of the prisoners and she kind of got to see what was going on and she really wanted to shut this shit down like she was not into it Mm -hmm. and this is what would eventually lead it to halting a little bit earlier than planned but uh, we'll get there in a few minutes all right all right so we're going to talk about the priest. There's they, a priest here? Yeah, they brought in a priest to talk to the inmates, similar to how they would do it in a real prison. And all of the prisoners but one 
wanted to talk to him. And that was prisoner number 416. Now, prisoner number 416 was a transplant. When number 8612 left, they wanted a nice even balance between guard and prisoner. So they brought in another person. He was a fresh meat, yeah. Yeah. So he would not speak to him. And what he was doing was posing a hunger strike. He refused to eat. He was so against what was happening in this situation that he decided, fuck you, I'm not eating dinner. Um, after a couple hours of them trying to get him to eat, they couldn't, so they threw him in solitary confinement. Uh, yeah, so that's not good. Now we get into one of the final tests, okay? Because this is the day after the previous prisoner had left, right? So we have two bubbling issues here. We have a guy on the inside who is causing some issues and, you know, stirring up some trouble. And then, supposedly, there gets word out that prisoner 8612, the one that was released the day earlier, would be gathering some of his friends and coming back to break all the other prisoners out. (laughs) So there's rumor now that there will be a prison break. And the guards do not like that, so the guards get real, real aggressive, okay? I'm talking real aggressive. They start making them leapfrog over each other uh, as to expose their genitals and anus to one another. They make them do extreme amounts of push-ups and sit-ups. And then they even make them simulate having sex with each other. Oh, my God. Now... I'm not gonna what the sp- fuck? I'm not going to spend too much time on the guards, okay? Only because the big bad kahuna was one man that went by the name of John Wayne, okay? Like, the shootest? John Wayne, I believe he was a character in Cool Hand Luke. Because that is who they modeled... That's who he modeled this character off of. Oh, okay. Wait. It wasn't his real name. It yeah, just, it that's was, what he went by as like the guard. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it was so in cool and low. Okay, John gotcha. Wayne was the leader of the sadistic guards. Okay, and John Wayne was real into waking them up late at night and making them recite things and remember things. Ah, uh, there you go. Torturing them physically, not allowing them to empty their buckets of poop and urine. Uh, even going as far as to make them scrub toilets with their bare hands and a bar of soap. Uh, John Wayne, he was a real asshole. Like, he was a great A. He doesn't sound like a good guy. So John Wayne took this a little bit personally, okay? John Wayne did not like this remotely. So he got real fucking angry with these guys, and he made them do everything. Simulated sex, playing games, jumping up and down, running around, uh, like I said, cleaning toilets, all this nonsense. Okay? So that's how he dealt with the supposed prison break. But now... Prisoner 416 is causing some internal issues. So, they offered one last way of posing one another against each other. And they told the eight remaining prisoners that if they wanted to let prisoner number 416 out of solitary confinement, all they'd have to do is give up their blankets. That's all they have to do. They can't have their blankets. But if every one of them gives up their blankets, they'll let them back into cell. And this is where all eight prisoners pretty much just said, fuck that guy, he should have followed the rules. Jesus. And they decided that they were not going to give up their blankets for him because they didn't 
they didn't think what he was doing was right. Yeah. This is already just insane. They just are a prison now. So, on August 20th of 1971, six days after it started, it was officially shut down and stopped. There was no more. Everything was done. They were given psychological checkouts, I guess you could say. Um, Pretty much. Uh, There's a couple interesting details I missed. Now, there was a parole board that was there. And you could go to the parole board, and all you had to do was say that you wanted to leave the experiment. Now, you would be forfeiting your money. I mean, the days you were there, you'd get paid for. Yeah, but yeah. all you had to do was say, you know, you want to leave. And all nine prisoners met with the parole board, and not one of them suggested that they wanted to leave. So, this supposedly has taught us... Now, for the past about 50 years... Since this happened, this has been one of the most expansively studied psychological cases, right? So now the findings in this case would kind of teach us something similar to the Milgram experiment. And that would be that if you thrust people into certain roles, they will adapt to that role, whether it be positive or negative. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to all of the people not wanting to be guards. John Wayne was one of the most outspoken people in the group, and he openly said that prison guards were terrible, that why would anybody want to be that? They're terrible. And he ended up becoming the meanest of the guards. Jesus. So, interesting, right? But now let's talk a little bit about the reality of this case and why it is not a psychological experiment. Okay? Okay. Philip Zimbardo has made plenty of money from this experiment. This is his life's blood. He has written books. He has done movies. He has done documentaries. He's done talk circuits. He has been around the globe to talk about what he learned in this experiment. Now, however, any good scientist knows that if you want to observe your findings, you cannot have a bias, right? Yeah. Well, Philip Zimbardo thrust himself into the entire situation by acting as conductor of the prison. So he was the guy that was in charge of all the guards. So the guy who's supposed to be studying the findings adds himself into the mix. This raises plenty of questions as to why... Why? Why did some of these things happen? Well... All nine of the guards have openly admitted throughout the years in documentaries that Philip Zimbardo really pushed them in certain directions, <laughs> pointing out that they should be doing this, or that if they can't think of a solution to this, maybe they should try this instead. So he is not letting the experiment run smoothly. He's he's pigeonholing them into doing something. Um... Now we get into even more interesting situations. Prisoner number 8612. Um, he faked it. He faked the whole thing. None of it was real. Um, he like openly... The, uh, the, that was a guy who didn't eat, right? No, this is the mental breakdown Oh, guy. that guy, okay. He faked the whole thing. He openly admitted that uh, he got really tired of it. He was not having a good time, and the money just simply was not worth it for him to stay any longer. 
And instead of looking like a coward and just saying he doesn't want to play the game anymore, he decided that he would just act crazy enough until they threw him out. And that's exactly what he did. And he even admits to this day that listening to the audio of his supposed mental breakdown is laughable and that any actual registered psychologist would be able to know that this was not a real mental breakdown. Huh. Interesting fact. Very interesting. Then we're going to talk about John Wayne because John Wayne is the biggest piece of information that we have that would support Philip Zimbardo's involvement in potentially swaying this. So, when asked about his sadistic behavior to the prisoners... He said that it was all a big improv show, that it was a game, and he was playing it. And he said he knew what kind of reaction Philip Zimbardo was looking for, and he wanted to see how much he could get away with in this experiment. And the way he looked at it was, what kind of experiment would it be if we didn't push the envelope and see what results would happen? Interesting take. Very interesting uh, take. Seems like experiments have to have a lot of parameters in order to be taken seriously. Yes. So he has said that uh, it, it is interesting because people that uh, talk about him, uh, the John Wayne, they say that uh, he's actually like one of the nicest people they've ever met. Like he's just a kind man. But, <laughs> but for he's the, the most brutal prison guard. And yeah, I mean, and he admitted that for the purposes of this experiment. He was told and directed to be slightly more aggressive than would be he would be comfortable with, for the purpose of eliciting a response from the guards or the other guards or prisoners. Damn. Okay, now we have one final nail in the coffin that suggests that none of this is, has any psychological merit to it, and that is because anybody that knows anything about how science works, nothing in science can be taken as fact or even theory until it is peer-reviewed by multiple different people from different backgrounds that are able to assess this work and see that it reaches a fair conclusion. Yeah, other people do the same experiment, all these things. Yes, it has to be replicated, and you have to get similar results in order for it to be a functioning theory. Now, interestingly enough, by August 21st of 1971, just one day after all of the reports, all of the findings, all of the information were given to news outlets as opposed to scientific tabloids or peer review people. So, everything was leaked to the news and the media, and it was printed, and there was this big hype about this weird experiment and how people could do this, and how, you know, they changed their behavior, only after a couple hours of being put in a role. Well, it has kind of come to the light over the past couple years that this in no way is any form of psychological experiment. As a matter of fact, most people that like psychology and want to focus on psychology believe that this is actually a very detrimental case because the experiment is not an experiment at all. It's just a big game. It's just cruelty. And you might ha you might look at yourself and say, well, what's the motive here? What's the motive? We have two potential motives, okay? Motive number one, the motive that I don't particularly believe is fair. But 
I want to share it anyway. Let's go. They believe that this is a PR stunt to get people not only interested in psychology, but to get interested in the idea of furthering their education. This was an interesting and dynamic way for them to show that school can be really different and break norms, and you're going to learn things in very, very strange ways, but it's going to have interesting value to your life, okay? It's that, a weird theory. really weird, yeah. I I'm mean, not a fan. It's not, like, out of the realm of possibility, but, yeah, I highly doubt that. Yeah. I mean, like, I saw a commercial the other day for pork. Just yeah. in general, like, no brand names, just, like, just you pig. should eat pork. Eat pig meat. It's like, there's commercials for this now? I wouldn't be surprised, man. It's a broad stroke, but damn. But yeah, so that is that's one. Um, realistically, this is a theory that not many people talk about. I am not in any way claiming that this is similar to an Amityville horror story where it was fabricated for the purposes of money. However, I think Philip Zimbardo probably had some real interest in this test. He wanted to know what was going to happen. But I think he realized that he needed to kind of push, get the ball rolling to make it happen the right way. And then it got out of hand. So instead of stepping in and stopping it, he kind of let it roll because after this was over, that it became his whole life. Yeah. He, he is famous for doing the Stanford Prison Experiment. That is what he's known for. So He etched out his place in history, I he guess. He really did. Positive or negative. Now, I will say there, there's a lot to this story that kind of... It, it, it's not that it, it didn't have a purpose, but there's a lot of things that were done that I think were the work of Philip Zimbardo. And that this goes back to what you mentioned in the beginning. On that first night, I kind of find it hard to believe that they would wake them up at 2.30 a.m. for their own purpose. Yeah. I think that was the beginning stages of, like, him trying to... And I don't think Philip Zimbardo had bad intentions. I think it was his way of trying to get them to accept their role. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that that definitely means you... I mean, because you said the uh, John Wayne guy, like, that was kind of his thing, is, like, waking them up at odd hours and making them recite shit. Uh-huh. So that means on the first day, like, before they even went to bed for the first time in this new role, he was talking to him like, you need to do some crazy shit. Yeah. Like, it was from the get-go. Yeah, and I there's a lot of people online when I was reading about this that think that he did this because... He's some, like, sadist asshole that wanted to watch students suffer. I mean, also not out of the realm of possibility, I guess. But. Yeah, it's valid, but I think realistically, I think just knowing what I know about humans, um, especially people in college, I think he kind of had to break the ice a little bit, you know? And I think separating two people, like, you're a prisoner and you're a guard, yeah, you can say that, but you have to prove that that is your job role. And for the purpose of this experiment, you got to do something big. You're only in it for two weeks. Yeah. You know, so you got to come out swinging. And I wouldn't be surprised if Philip Zimbardo kind of egged them on to do this. Like I said earlier, mostly for the purpose of getting the experiment going. To see yeah. how far they would take it, you know? Yeah. But... 
that is kind of the reason why this is not technically accepted in most psychological uh, classrooms anymore. And it's because there's so much media and story around it that it kind of loses its academic luster, yeah, you know? The amount of variables that can't be, like, reproduced in other, like, uh, experiments of this kind are, like, you can't even name them all. Yeah, Like, exactly. it, it was just, it was just chaos. He so just, like, unleashed these kids. And, like, I will say that, like, at the beginning, it all seemed very, like, well thought out. It's like, yeah, we're... We're renting this space. We're abducting these people from their jobs. We're going to do the actual, like, scenario. Like, this is what it's like to be arrested and sent to prison and all that shit. They even had, like, a guy come in who knew what prison was like exactly. They set it all up. Mm -hmm. They had it all. Like, it was all very well thought out. But then after that, it seems like it just, like, took a shit. Yeah. But he was just pushing it the entire way. Now, there's one factor that I did not mention that I think is important. Uh, to defend Philip Zimbardo. Um, I, he wanted this experiment to work, and he wanted it to have time to fix itself. Because on the night of the supposed prison break, he was scrambling to try and move the entire prison to a different location so that the person couldn't come back and end the experiment. However, the only reason he didn't do it is because the school and the police department told them that there would be no way to ensure uh, health care coverage or any accidental problems that might arise if he were to move said prison. So he would be taking all of that on himself. So that's why they didn't move. But he... I could just picture this guy, like, really believing someone's going to come and ruin his experiment. He is just panicked. Well, his experiment sounds like it was shit from the beginning. He's yeah. affecting it before it even starts. Yeah, and that, that's just the way I take it. So, like, like who was, like, was he, like, an academic? Or was he just, like, Oh, some... he was. He's a doctor. He was He's a doctor? A, yeah, okay. doctor of psychology. Well, it seems like he Philip would... Philip Zimbardo. Seems like he would know the ins and outs of, like, conducting an experiment, but uh, obviously not. Well, that's why it's... I don't want to slander the guy because it is, it's just hearsay. There's no way to prove or disprove that he had any sway on how it went. But chances are, but chances all are. All of the guards you know? were like, he was pushing us to do yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, it's kind of hard to not say. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think it's okay to slander him. He, the experiment was. I mean, at the time, I'll tell you this it was, it was a win. We learned a lot about human behavior. And how, similar to the Milgram experiment, when you're put in a position of either authority or submission, you tend to kind of just assume that role over time. Yeah. Because that's what you're told, so it just becomes reality. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, looking back on it in the lens of today, 2021, it's kind of easy to see that this was a bit of a fuck-up. Ex- yeah, um, extremely... Uh, so it was it had some ends that were definitely loose, like very loose, like there wasn't even string, it was like just horse hair everywhere, yeah, and it it never quite produced the answers that they were looking for because <laughs> i I mean I what, think it's what because, was the answer they were looking for? It was like, let's see what happens well, I think it it's hard because the experiment ended early, so. Let's say, for example, that it is true what they said, that they felt that 
all 18 people involved felt that this was a big game and they were kind of playing the show, you know? They're they're egging the situation on whatever role they're in. If, maybe, if they were allowed to continue the experiment for the allotted time, maybe by day, let's say, 10 or 11, maybe the game wouldn't have been fun and maybe the real experiment would have begun. Perhaps they would have been tired of being... Uh, uh, you know, abused and suppressed. And maybe the experiment's full effects would be seen once that happened. Well, that... I see what you're saying there, and that line of thinking makes sense, but, like, an experiment shouldn't have to wear down a human's soul in order to get to the point of where the experiment can actually begin. Right? You know what it's I mean? Like, that's... That's fucked. It is scary. <laughs> But that is the Stanford Prison Experiment. Mitch, yeah. do you have a comment on this? This guy's reaching. You know it would be so funny with the Milgram? Is that, is that how you say it? Uh-huh. Yeah, it would be so funny if they, if they like, pretended like they accidentally killed the people, like with the electric shock, and they're just like, the police are here to arrest you. They have, like, police arresting them. It's, it's all part of one massive experiment. <laughs> We get people to kill other people and see what happens. It's like, oh, there's just two ruined lives. But yes. Well, still, well, that would just be unethical as well. That was <laughs> nothing well, here was good, but we're talking about it. That is true. <laughs> we're talking about. We are talking. About yeah, it. that's kind of the our show's whole deal, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, like I said, while uh, today's standards might say that this test was a failure. At the time, it was, I mean, it's taught us a lot about humans and the ability to adjust (laughs) to particular situations and kind of how things become what they are. We just want roles, I guess. Yeah, everyone, uh, you are who you pretend to be, I suppose. And the other thing about that the experiment taught us is that it doesn't always necessarily have to be a gradual change. Sometimes it is as... As instant as a day. It's it can like, go oh, from one thing to another. Oh, this is life now? All right. Yeah. It just, <laughs> just all right, that's easy. But, yeah, so with all that being said, that is our episode for today. Yeah, just some fucked experiments. We um, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, we certainly enjoyed making it, okay? So you should enjoy it, listening. Yes. It's only the fair thing to do. Um. <laughs> I want you emotionally abusing our audience. You're damn right I am. (laughs) I want you guys to get the logo for this show tattooed somewhere onto your body. Okay? Anywhere. That'd be great. Anywhere on the body and send us a picture. And not only will we love you forever and frame that picture and put it up in the studio. We will, I don't even know, I'll mail you a kiss. I will do whatever wow. you want. Like I'll, a Hershey's kiss wrapped in our shirt. Should we give them a shirt? If they get, I feel like if someone gets a tattoo of our fucking logo, they deserve a shirt. Oh, if you get a tattoo of our show, I... I'll buy you a meal at Olive Garden. No, I promise you this. I will personally design a new shirt that only you will ever own for our show. That, yeah. 
It'll be a collector's item because it will be the only one in existence, and I will design it and everything. I pr- I will do, I'll even pay for it. I don't care if you're getting a tattoo. I'm cool with that. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll go in on that. Think about it. Just think about it. It's marketing for Are us. You a pair of, we are starting a cult pants. Ooh, it'd be nice. Say Grant on the ass. That's me. Yeah, but we will be back next week, um, with another episode. And we will also be on Patreon on Tuesday for our next bi-weekly episode. It's true. And, uh, yeah, you know, if you want to check that out, join us on uh, Patreon. The link is in the show notes along with our email address. So you can forward us any funny memes or stories or pretty much anything you want. Um, You just want to talk? Come on. Yeah. I will say this. I mean, I'm not sure if we've said this before. I think we did with the black-eyed kids. If um, if you have any paranormal stories that have happened to you or potentially even UFOs, uh, I know David might have just seen a UFO, so uh, I'm going to talk to him. We're going to see yeah, if we're we can get the, uh, the dis- lowdown. discuss some of that, maybe put the video up on uh, on the Internet. We'll see, see yeah, what he pretty, has to it's say. It's pretty crazy. But uh, we'll keep you posted on that. But, we will. Um, I will say this, uh, you know, if you have any of those interesting stories, definitely share them with us because we would love to hear them and yeah. tell them on the show. Then we can say your name. We could leave you anonymous. We could do whatever. Yeah. But either way, you know, every story deserves to be told in a way. Oh, absolutely. There you go. So with all that being, being said, said, we are starting a cult. I yep. will see you next week. I love you all. Yeah, it's true. Me too as well. That's Grant. I'm Jake. Mitch was here. Follow us on all the shit. Uh, we are starting a cult on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think we might delete the Twitter. We don't know. We're going to decide. There's also a Patreon link below, and our email is startacult at gmail.com. Okay. 